In a world of what are yous, welcome to the place where the answer is always human. My name is Natalie and you're listening to Some Kind of Brown, a podcast about mixed and multiracial life, current events, and ways to build the best life by a southern girl who's trying to figure it out for herself. In the last episodes with Soph, and in the previous episodes where she shares her story, we got a Japanese-American story from one perspective. In these next two episodes with our next guest, we're getting a completely different perspective that I hadn't thought would make so much impact. Everything from when your family immigrated to the U.S. to what generation you're born into shapes your personal story and how you experience being mixed or multiracial. With that in mind, I hope you enjoy the next two episodes. Welcome back to another episode. It is still Asian American Pacific. Wait, is it Asian American Pacific Islander? Yeah, month. (laughs) (laughs) This is, there are too many words. It's late. (laughs) I need more coffee. (laughs) You should pour the coffee into the ice cream and make coffee ice cream. That's the only way that I would have. Why were you here when I was eating the ice cream? Well, as you can hear, we have a guest, another guest this time. Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Charmaine, aka Mixed Girl Maine. I have my own podcast, Militantly Mixed and Blurred Comixed. And I am of Black, Japanese, Caucasian, British, and other kind of white ethnic (laughs) origins. And various and sundry (laughs) things that some of us have. Various things, yes. In the rumors. I have a whole bunch of things. I'm hierarchically mixed race, then bisexual, then polyamorous, then atheist, then a woman. My very last thing is that I'm a woman. Actually, maybe my first thing is that I'm a cat mom. Oh, goodness. That's my major identifier. (laughs) I'm not claiming that as my first identifier, but I'm like cat mom by proxy. But allergic mm-hmm. cat mom by proxy. Oh, I saw. <laughs> I'm allergic to outdoor cats, but not indoor cats. I'm allergic to all. All cats are deaf. So we have two HIPAA filters. HEPA filters. HIPAA. I don't know. They just. Oh, you live with a cat yes. and you're allergic to it? Yes. Oh. So my partner has a cat named Valkyrie. And when. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and when I moved in, they were like, do you want me to get rid of Valkyrie? And I was like, no. Why? God, why? Why would I tell you to get rid of your cat? Oh, yeah. I just need her never to be in the bed and some air filters. And you have to wash your hands after you touch her and then touch me. And you have to mm-hmm. take your clothes off. <laughs> like, <laughs> Right. Oh, man. I can't imagine how difficult that would be. I will say that when I thought I was starting to get allergic to them again, I was allergic to cats, but I didn't realize I was only allergic to outdoor cats because I, I never had a cat in my house. Oh. When I finally pieced it together, that that's because the thing is, I have a fierce allergy to grass. I can't touch it. I can breathe it, but I can't touch it. That's and if I crazy. do, I get this crazy rash. But if it's coupled with a cat who has been in grass... I can basically touch it and turn my hand over and watch the allergy reaction like grow up my arm like some kind of horror film. No. And so <laughs> I, I was starting to get a little bit of that again and I didn't know what was going on. And I think it was just because we were bringing in grass so the cats could eat it. And I think that it was manifesting through their <laughs> fur or something. I don't know. I have no idea. Whatever it was. But I would now, yeah, I would basically like, you'd have to give me shots at this point because there's no way I could get rid of them. 
That's the funny thing, though. I was having shots back in Arkansas. When you move, you don't get to keep getting shots. I have to go through two seasons in Michigan. No kidding. Without allergy shots. No, because there are new Oh, things. new allergies. There, there are new plants and things. Yeah. And my doctor's like, you have to go through two seasons, and then we can do scratch tests. And so I have three different allergy meds and an inhaler. You know what helps, though? Honestly, it sounds what? like a wife's tale, but it's legit. Get local honey. Whatever the yes, bees are yes, making yes, where yes. you're at, it helps with your allergies, your local allergies. I have been looking for that. I got one at this nice, cool store called Myers that people have up here that I'd never heard of before. It's like bougie Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> Please, Michiganders, do not kill me. <laughs> it's interesting, but we have we have bougie Walmart, and I go there. I don't know. I need mean, like I have to call my allergist. I have had hives for a week straight. No, there's something that should there's be enough to brewing. indicate that you are already dealing with it. Why do you have to go through two seasons? Because now all we know is that I'm allergic to something in spring. We don't know if I'm allergic to something that ah. dies. So I'm allergic to something that's blooming, and now. We have to see in the fall if I'm allergic to things that throw pollen and stuff when they, well, it's not pollen, throw up whatever yeah. when we die. Wow. All right. That's interesting. It's great. But back to <laughs> Asian, Asian American Pacific Islander Month. Mm -hmm. This is actually interesting. And I think maybe this oversight is because I think... I'm part black, and so I don't look for people who are part black to talk with or something, but you are actually the first person, the first guest who's mixed with black that I've had on the show. That's pretty crazy, but I get it. Like, you know, we're out here. Some of us are incognito. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's what my granddad used to call us. Well... And I don't know if you'd want this on your show. You can bleep it or or whatever. But my my black grandfather used to call the mixed ones nigglets. Oh no! And oh, that we, no. And, we, and that we were incognito um, oh, because God. white people don't know. <laughs> <laughs> people can tell, but white people don't know. So incognito. I'm gonna leave that only because I feel like people need to know <laughs> that that's a term that was used and. In the South, I was called that, and my siblings are called that very negatively. Yeah, so my people, my black side are from Missouri and Louisiana and Texas. And yeah. so that term followed them all the way to Riverside, California, which is where they planted here. And so I'm a Californian, but very much influenced by Southern internal racism. <laughs> Yes, I will leave that just so people know that is not okay and we do not use that term. Thank you. If you think it sounds funny, keep it to yourself. Mm -hmm. And and note that it was a mention of the term and not a use yes. of the term, which for some people don't seem to understand the difference. No, do not at us. And if you are confused, maybe you can at me. You can at me too. Bring it. <laughs> <laughs> but if you do not understand just know that it is not nice and if you do at us you might get a paragraph or a book back <laughs> so you have to have like 12 screenshots just to fit it all into yes <laughs> like, tread carefully <laughs> like one of a hundred tweets 
and you cannot like take any letter out and pretend it's different so like <laughs> don't 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 think you can yep. take it and yep. we're not going to hear about it mm -hmm. so you are very mixed and very mixed the last guest was mixed with japanese as well but she is japanese and white only i think and uh from what i know specifically about japan they are still very mm, they love mixed people <laughs> they really yeah. really don't <laughs> they really really don't it i'm <laughs> so i'm second generation mixed basically uh my mom is japanese and her mother's from japan my her father was german irish appalachian west virginian inbred and he was a GI and he was stationed <laughs> in inbred. <laughs> yeah. Legit. Like not a joke. Like great grandparents were cousins. I I think there are a sibling relationship in my family somewhere, aunts and uncles or something. I have my mom had Bless. a yes, it's amazing. My mom had a first cousin who, because of inbreeding, had um water on the brain, so was like a very large oversized head and they had to push him around in a wheelbarrow. Is that hydrocephaly? I don't know what it's called. We called it Waterhead, but um, oh, I mean, you know how families are. People are yeah. trash. Um, so they had to like push him around in a wheelbarrow. And I never met that side of the family, but I, I saw a picture of him and I thought that the photo, because everybody else looked normal proportions and he didn't. And I remember going, what's wrong with the photo? Like, did something move or was something weird? And they're like, oh no, that's that's his head. That was what was wrong with him because his parents were siblings or he was a multi-generation incest person, something. I don't know. That's always fun. I was about to get defensive. I was like, don't you? Oh, no, no. Like, we're legit. Like, they, I don't know <laughs> them. I'm related to them, but I don't know them. But they are legitimately, like, basically <laughs> the same last name, married the same last name. Oh, and if you are from any kind of Appalachian family, you know the areas that they live in are very tiny and very communal. So, you know, there's there's a certain amount of... This is probably going way off topic, but there's a certain amount of incest that doesn't actually have any genetic disorder problems. Like you technically could marry and have children with your first cousins and it really not be that big of a deal. In some cases, you can marry and have children with your siblings and it not be that big a deal. It's multiple generational incest that causes yeah, problems. It's a it's a roll of the decks. You you could have be with your sister and have a Joffrey. Exactly. Or you can have a Tommen. <laughs> Poor Baby Tommen, R.I.P. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what her mix is. So my grandmother was from Japan. My grandfather was stationed in Japan during the Korean War. He married my grandmother and then his best friend married one of my grandmother's sisters. Oh, wow. And then another of my grandmother's sisters followed suit and found herself a white boy too. So uh, <laughs> um, three out of five of my grandmother's the female children married white men and then the others the one oh no no three of the four women and the one sister and one brother they they stayed in japan and married japanese well that's good for them and their dwindling population they're doing their thing so so yeah that happened on my on my japanese side and then my my dad's side is half black half caucasian british my nana was from england my black grandfather was a gi he was in England during the same time period, Korean War, married her, brought her here. So 
I'm second generation mix in that both of my parents are biracial. Culturally, I am primarily black and Japanese because those are what I was mostly immersed in. British, yes, to a degree, but my British grandmother is my only Caucasian family member that I knew for any length of time. So like when I think of myself as half white, it makes me laugh because I only one connection. I have one yeah. relative. <laughs> yeah. One connection to my whiteness. I think you've mentioned a few times before in your show that you identify primarily as black. I do. So I look yellow. I Well, I look Dominican or Puerto Rican if I'm on the East Coast. And I, I look Filipino if I'm on the <laughs> West Coast because I'm like roughly Asian, but kind of brown. And, and people don't really know how to mm -hmm. how to place that. But yeah, I, I grew up with my black side within a black neighborhood. So I feel like a yellow presenting black person. Oh, that's very interesting. Culturally, that is more my identifier is more black than anything. And then when I was at home on my mom's side with my grandma's family, I was Japanese there, but I was always Japanese ish. Uh. You know, it's a culturally, I would be reminded that I wasn't Japanese. So even to a degree, my grandmother is no longer Japanese because as a country, they are a monolith. Like Japanese are this way. Yeah. Everybody is everybody looks the same it's a you know homogenous racial group things like that the people that do come from different mixes like there are some japanese that have korean mixed because of occupation mm -hmm. there is actually african japanese from way 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 back uh, there was a tribe in one of the islands that kind of just stuck around and developed and no one likes to talk about <laughs> yeah, for real like they exist too they look black and they look japanese but as a culture they do not love mixing and in fact, you can lose your Japanese card just by leaving Japan. Of course, as a mixed person, I'm obsessed with other cultures. I, that's not every mixed person. But for me in particular, I'm obsessed with learning about other cultures. And as a mixed person, I'm curious about how all other people in other countries are treated. Mm -hmm. And I knew that about Japan. As far as I know, didn't that kind of come about when they were rebuilding after World War II, because they all had this, we all need to improve together and build together and everything for Japan. I mean, yes and no. I mean, the, the biggest problem, and really it always starts with some kind of colonization or military uh, militarization, right? You know, Japan was occupied by the Americans during the war. Mm -hmm. After the bomb, a lot of crazy things happened. But during the post-war occupation, a lot of mixed people started springing up you know, they're not Japanese <laughs> because they, you know, if if you're thinking about them as the fathers, the military fathers were white. So Japanese, depending on what families you come from, are usually very patriarchal. My yeah. family is a matriarchy, but um, they're very patriarchal. So if the father is white, then those children are white oh, and they don't have that. a place here. And when you think about being tainted, you know, this idea that is probably common in a lot of different cultures where mixedness comes up, they were tainted because they were, you know, non-Japanese parent. They disregard the mother in that respect. Oh, hearing that about, I've never thought about any other culture doing that because growing up and living in the South, that happens with whiteness. Mm -hmm. You're only white if you're only like, literally only white yeah if you're only white because the yeah. one drop rule is still a thing that happened yeah. 
even in Michigan now, uh, I just realized, I talked about this in my last episode, I just realized that they keep changing me from white to black on my medical records. They're not asking me what my race is. Are you kidding? No, I'm not kidding at all. Oh my gosh. And because I always check my charts online, I noticed that I'm white sometimes, I'm black sometimes. And I'm like, ah. That's amazing. I asked the nurse. And I was like, okay, in Arkansas, when I was growing up, they went by the race of the father, so I'm I was black. Mm-hmm. But now in Arkansas, it's race of the mother, so half like more than halfway through my life, I became white. <laughs> and now I moved to Michigan and I asked this poor nurse, it does, is Michigan a mom or dad state? Because you they don't have a mixed or two or more category. No, they don't. No, they don't. Wow. Not to my knowledge. No one's ever offered that to me. And that might have to do with the fact that no one's ever asked me what my race is. But I asked her, do you go by the race of the father or the race of the mother? And she just stared at me and said, I've never had anyone ask me that. Mm. I'll have to go check. Mm. So no one ever told me and I still don't know. And I think as of now, Natalie Evans is white. I do joke around a lot about if I die... Will people get confused about my medical records? Is there a white Natalie Evans and a black Natalie right. Evans? Right. <laughs> like it's it's very strange. That's wild. So it's it's wild to me. I guess that I was naive or it's insular or maybe just self-centered thinking that this only applied to white people. Mm. That you had to be 100% white to be white. Mm. I never thought anyone else, any other culture would be like that. And honestly, a lot of what I know about Japan is just filtered through my one, you know, Japanese relative who I lived with and everything. I I lived with my grandma for a big portion of my life. And what I knew is that I wasn't allowed to tell my Japanese family we were black. That much I knew. They couldn't hide that they were white because she married a white man. And my brother and I were really dark as kids. Right. And, you know, we tanned. We were yellow, but we're brown when we tan. And they would ask, you know, what are you guys? What's your dad? And they, we were told to say American. And whatever American meant to them uh, was a satisfactory answer. So just let them assume, but don't tell them black. Just let them assume. And so, you know, we say American. I found out years later, one of my cousins, when I finally did start to tell my my cousin, and they're my second cousins because they're they're my mom's first cousins, but they're my age. My mom had me as a teenager. When I had told him that I was black, he goes, do you know what we call you in the family? Oh, no. Because he, he was so blown away to find out that we kept it secret. They referred to my brother and I as the Mexicans oh. because we were so brown. What in the world? You know, the connection, the thought of us being black was so not even an option that they had to find the next brown that made sense, given what we look like, our complexion, our hair color, texture. Why not Filipino? You'd think they'd want to keep it Asian. Like, why not Southeast Asian? No, no, not Japanese. No, let me clarify something about Asian. This is this is Asian Pacific Islander, but this yeah. is a Japanese episode, right? We are Japanese. Oh. They are Asian. Oh. That's how Japanese are. Japanese... Here in the States, born and raised here, we'll join the Asian groups and all that kind of stuff. And we'll be Asian here in America, but we are Japanese and they are Asian. People in Japan are calling themselves Asian. We have our own island. (laughs) We are are north of all the other Asians. 
that I can tell you some of the things that I grew up hearing that I didn't realize were prejudiced until well into my adulthood assumptions that we made based off of the stuff our family would say, well, our food is cleaner. Oh, oh man. They hang their food outside, you know, like the, ch- like you'd go through Chinatown and you'd see like chickens hanging on a string outside of a, inside of a je- uh, yeah. Chinese restaurant or something like that. Oh, that's dirty. We don't do that. Oh boy. We clean, we keep our food clean, things like that. So like there was always a way we always understood whether or not as American little mixed kids, do we understand it was racist or prejudice? This was how it was. We were the clean version of Asians and all the other Asians were different types of dirty. <laughs> You know, I guess I really shouldn't be surprised because (laughs) (laughs) it's racism everywhere. It just depends on what it is. The thing is, is when you whatever you're mixed with, you learn whatever is the racism and the stereotypes and the things that are directed at you. You don't often learn or think about the the stereotypes of the racism that are in other groups, like especially in American culture. American culture just romanticizes Japanese culture and fetishizes it to a degree too. I mean, we literally have a term for white people or by, you know, stretching it, Americans who are obsessed with Japanese culture is called otakus. And for the longest time, it was meant it was meant to mean white kids that are obsessed with Japanese culture. Like we're talking about the kids that watch anime, who will try to slip into a Japanese accent when they're talking, you know, who will, you know, mimic the manner mannerisms and things like that. That's an otaku. Here in America, otaku is viewed like people claim it like I'm an otaku and they're happy to be that. Just know that we hear it and we are laughing at you for claiming that. From our perspective, it is a derogatory term for a white kid who's trying to be Asian or trying to be Japanese more specifically. But now that 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 term does stretch to Americans in general. So because there's a lot of black otakus now and things like that, whatever. And if you're listening and you're an otaku or you just really like Japanese culture, we love you. We're not trying to come at you. You have to be like careful about your in- interest yeah. in the culture, right? Like you have to be able to to love the things that are produced and respect it, but not allow your obsession to go so far. Like this, the words "I'm obsessed with Japanese culture" should never leave your mouth. You know, like that is not a thing that you should be comfortable saying because what you're saying is that there's this otherness I'm interested in. And I say I'm uh, I'm obsessed with other cultures. When I say that, I mean I'm learning cultural practices and right. as much as I can uh, about the actual thing. Like I had or have a, an interest in South Korea and people are like, "Oh no, does that means you're Korean?" And I'm like, "No, no, 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 no." Was oh, that the term for people that are like Korean based otakus. Yeah, I have never, I've never heard it. <laughs> yeah, I like no, no, no. I like actual history, learning the actual right. history. Yes, I've heard K-pop songs, and I like K-pop songs, but mm-hmm. I also listen to Gugak singing, like old traditional singing, mm. and love it. And you can like a thing and be very interested in it. Right, and and the thing is, like I've done that too. Like I was. I would say to a degree for a long time that I would I would used to say I'm obsessed with ancient e- Egyptian culture because I loved the the stuff about the pharaohs and I loved all the art and I still do I have a bunch of collectibles and I go to museums where there is any kind of ancient Egypt's display of some sort or whatever. I even have a tattoo of an unk or whatever. So I'm I'm kind of like the equivalent of an otaku to that, but I'm not sitting here like fetishizing Egyptians or or anything like that as a result. 
Yeah, I think that's the line. When you say you want to be that culture, or like you, I want to be Japanese, or I want to be Korean, or I am Korean. You're trying to mimic it. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, that's too far. <laughs> that's the thing. And and a lot of people do that. And I have friends that do it to me. And then when I call them on it, they'll say, oh, I just thought it would be like my way of showing you I care about your culture. And I'm like, yeah, but all you ever have to do, like if it's a black person who's doing it to me, I can just say, well, imagine if a white person walked up and was and started talking ebonics which is a term i absolutely hate i know but what else are we supposed to call it <laughs> what, that's what they call it so unfortunately so you know how would you that make you feel it's the exact same thing and because i was at lunch with a friend recently we went into a korean restaurant but they kept saying hello no. and i turned around and i was like listen that's not a thing that you can do. And it never occurred to them because in their view, racism is only white to black. There's not other racism. And so I had to sit there and be like, no, 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 you are not Japanese. You can't say like, you can't do that. Like, or even Asian because the Koreans, Korean restaurants will say hero also when you walk oh, in. Yeah, because there's no art. Both languages have an RL yeah. combination letter. It actually sounds more like a D to a certain extent, you know, because it's kind of rolled, at least on the Japanese side. In Korean, it's uh, more of an L. Yes, I can read Hangul, leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a thing. That's, that's absolutely a thing. And it took me a long time. It took me into adulthood to realize that what I was dealing with on the Japanese side was a form of racism. Well, okay, I'll put it like this. I viewed it more as prejudice because I view racism as having the power component, mm -hmm. right? The the domination thing in some way, shape or form, laws being formed against them, things like that. With the Japanese side, not particularly caring about me being mixed and more than that would have had a problem with the black side. In that case, that's more prejudice. They didn't have black people. They barely had white people, but they saw more white people than black mm -hmm. people. If they did see anything about black people, they were either rappers or there was the Rotswites. Or they were singers, or there was the LA riots, and there was gang warfare. You know, there was things like that. That Yeah, they're entertainment, or they're dangerous. Right, and that's what they were getting access to. So to tell my family, hey, I'm part of this thing that you view as dangerous or bad because of what you get to see, what is filtered to you. You know, how do you explain to them that not all Black people are like the little pockets of Blackness that you get to see? The other thing is that... Japanese not really understanding what they're doing, they do the same thing where they will adopt a culture and fetishize a culture. There, it's Right now, the Chicano culture is very popular over in Japan. Oh, yeah, I've heard about that. But there was a period of time. So they're doing like low riders, they're getting tattoos, they're wearing like the Vato Vata style clothing, things like that. The eyeliner, not eyeliner, oh my gosh, lip liner around the lips. The, the, the lip liner and stuff in the late 90s and early aughts, they were doing it with the black culture, you know, the hip hop culture and stuff like that too. Oh, what was, there was a name for that too. What was that? I don't actually remember it because the first few times I saw it, I was so appalled. Like it was, there's an example of it if anybody saw Battle Royale. Battle Royale is a Japanese movie that is about high school kids being sent to a park to kill each other for survival. Hunger Games, but before Hunger Games. And the different cliques of the Japanese kids at the high school, there was the black ones who did brown face and they expanded their nose. They put, they made their lips bigger. They wore Afro wigs. They were, it was awful. They were wearing Adidas outfits and stuff like that. And then there was like the goth kids and the punk kids and the white looking kids. And it, it's a, it's a whole damn mess, but it's 
also one of those movies that got such a cult following that people just kind of forgot <laughs> that there was a lot of racism and, and stereotypes in there. But yeah, that was a big thing back then. I, I don't know how big it is now in comparison to like the Chicano culture being their big interest right now. So like the Japanese are guilty of doing this, but at the same time, they don't want you to think that it's okay for you to mix in. I mean... Right now, they have a couple of famous mixed Japanese. There's Osaka, the the tennis player. I was going to bring that up because I had forgotten the tensions in Japan about race until that happened in very mixed reviews. For Osaka, the thing that is the saddest thing is that she wasn't revered as a Japanese tennis player until she started winning. Mm -hmm. The people would always would say, you know, she's talented, but she's not Japanese. Yeah. When she legitimately is, you know, the beauty queen from a couple years ago, whose name starts with an M and right now it's escaping me. The one who was Miss Japan? Miss Japan, yeah. She was half black and half Japanese. Fully Japanese, though. Raised in Japan, born in Japan, culturally Japanese. She could not come to the States and assimilate as a black woman. She would be a Japanese black woman, you know, if she came here. There she was viewed as not Japanese because she was mixed. And it didn't matter that she was fluent, that she, that the Japanese is her native tongue, nothing like that. It, it does not matter. That was Miyamoto Ariyama. Yeah, I, c- I cannot remember what it was at the time. Yeah, Miyamoto. And she, you know, she has fought it. And I think with the most amount of grace that you possibly can, when the only place you know has rejected you, but somehow also honored you with this status, it's a very, very weird thing. Yeah. And in my case, I'm a novelty. If I go to real Japanese that are here and I'll tell them I'm Japanese, they'll kind of laugh. And it's kind of this idea of like, it's so cute that you think you're Japanese. Because as of right now, they wouldn't even view my grandmother as Japanese because she's been in the States for too long. So she's American now. When they hear her speak Japanese, they're going to hear an American accent. When I hear her speak English, I hear a Japanese accent. We're hearing two different things because her Japanese is diluted by the fact that she primarily uses English to a Japanese person from Japan. And for me, I hear a woman who has a Japanese accent that I have to sometimes explain slower what a person at the grocery store said to her. Every time I hear stories like this, it's like the first time I'm hearing it. I still have the same reaction every time. And it's not just one reaction. It's like sick to my stomach, angry, and then frustration. And just like, why? (laughs) Why? Yeah, I mean, we have to start from a place of being like every culture has their prejudices and every culture has their racism. But when you're dealing with a culture, you know, we're from America. So in our case, we don't necessarily understand. We understand supremacy, white supremacy, right? We understand racism. We understand laws that are created to disenfranchise people of color. We understand that. But on a day-to-day basis, a lot of us usually see people from all different cultures and and colors walking around. Not everywhere. There are definitely pockets where you absolutely won't see somebody that's different from you for a while. But the majority across the major cities and everything like that. In Japan, you're dealing with primarily just a homogenous, everybody looks the same, you know, basic skin mm-hmm. colors, same kind of hair, same facial structures, things like that. Well, blending is a very big... It's a cultural of assimilation. Yeah, well, it definitely is. And I'm like, it's not a principle. That's not the word I'm looking for. It's almost as if it's like proverb level in Japanese culture, blending in, don't stick out. It's, and I don't remember the exact fable of it. I just remember kind of bits and pieces of it, but it's a, it's the idea of a fist is stronger than a hand. Yeah. 
So turning that into explaining it, how what that means in the culture is that as a culture, if you're all the same, (laughs) you know, if you're if you're similar, if you're the kind of thing, then you're more like a a fit, you know, you're drawn together, you're you're strong together. Whereas if you're a hand, you're you're spread out, your fingers are spread out, it's a little bit less strong. I'm fully butchering it. It's been ages since I've heard it, but it used to make sense when I was a kid. And it's things like, you know, where like you've heard it spoken to you and not read to you and things like that. So I don't, I don't have it exactly right, but, but that is what it is. And when Japanese leave Japan and go to other places, they assimilate, they learn the language. They don't teach their children the language, you know, things like that. Like it was like pulling teeth to get my grandmother to speak Japanese to me. And there was only a few words that I knew in Japanese before I knew in English growing up. And there were times when there were certain words that we knew in Japanese so that we can talk in front of people without cluing the other people in like racial words. You know, hakujin means white person. Kokujin means black person. Nihonjin means Japanese person. Mm-hmm. Chukokujin is uh, Korean, things like that. So like if I could hear those triggers, then I would know who was my grandmother referring to, what is, what is bothering her in the moment, you know. If we go to a Japanese restaurant, which are almost here in the States, almost always owned and operated by Korean people, my grandma would go in, find out that they were Korean, get upset and go, Korea, you know, like, because their food doesn't taste like our food. But Americans are walking around talking about how much they love Japanese food. But what they actually love is an Americanized version of Koreans example of Japanese food. Like that's usually what's out here. And so she'd get upset because she couldn't get her real flavors and the things she was used to because of this kind of stuff so there was a lot of me trying to be Japanese and her telling me but you'll never you know not in so many words but basically you're never going to be Japanese (laughs) like you're not from Japan and you're mixed when I was in college I was 22 23 24 trying to take Japanese classes and could not get my grandmother really help me because when she came to the states she was told they they put the yellow brides in these I say yellow brides intentionally. They're basically mm-hmm. domestic American wife classes. And so when it was the it was the Japanese, it was the Koreans, it was the Vietnamese, it was who the Okinawans, they had to come in and take these classes to learn how to be American wives. They didn't do that with the the white GI wives. They you know, foreign wives. They only did it with the to the best of my knowledge the the yellow brides. I think you're right. Yeah. And so they so like that's how my grandma met one of her closest friends that she ended up knowing for years and years after. But that's where they were taught how to cook the way Americans cook, they were told to only associate with other Americans. If you were married to a white man, then you were now white. You hung out with white families or families where there was a Japanese wife and a white husband, but you couldn't associate with the black married families, the black GIs who had Japanese wives that you were different races, you didn't associate. I'm not selling Japan very strongly here. Uh, but, <laughs> but you know, like there was the, the like American, the, the American military did that to the, the foreign brides. And so like my grandmother was terrified to teach her kids Japanese because they were told it's already bad enough. Your children are going to be half breeds. Another word I'm using intentionally yeah. because, or mentioning intentionally because that is how she was taught. If it makes you feel better... I have a friend whose first husband was a black man and her mom, who has known my family basically forever, uh, and she's white. I'm sorry, that is also important. So my white friend married a a black man Mm -hmm. and her mom was so upset. She literally said, look at Natalie and her family and how much they've suffered. Do you really want your kids to Ew. suffer like that yes yes so i don't know commiserating sometimes feels nice 
Yeah, like basically you just understand this stuff happens everywhere, right? It happens everywhere. It's not just with the Japanese because that happened. Yeah. Oh, gosh, it's a, it's a whole it's a whole thing. But, you know, she was terrified to teach her children Japanese because she was told that they were half-breeds and that their brains aren't going to be able to fathom the two languages. Like, it's impossible. Okay, because neuroplasticity isn't a <laughs> thing. Yeah, That's fine. To- it's just like how cigarettes used to be good for your lungs. <laughs> it's the same type of mentality, right? Like, you can't teach your children two languages. Their brains will not be able to function. So even when I was in college, it was still like all these years later, it's like, grandma, you've been here for 30 years. You don't think they're not going to, they're not going to deport you. You're a citizen. Like, it's fine. But she had that fear because she also grew up in an occupied country. And there's, you know, there's a lot of other things going on there. It wasn't until I was in my 30s when I would just pick up the phone and kind of talk to her and what Japanese I've pieced together. Then she would start to respond. And I think it was because I wasn't getting her help. I was doing it on my own by that point. And I am I am not fluent. I do not speak full sentences. I have like 10 sentences I can speak and then everything else is me piecing it together. And my accent sounds like an old lady. Aww. <laughs> which I didn't know until I was in, I used to work at Dell in Austin and I was inviting these Japanese businessmen into a conference room. And I started out with, you know, saying Minasan, which is like gentleman follow me. And one of the men asked me, why do you, well, first he asked me, why do you speak Japanese? And I said, I'm a quarter Japanese, which he laughed at. And then, Uh uh, and he goes, he goes, (laughs) because you're not Japanese. And, and then he said, well, why do you sound like an old lady? And I said, I don't know what you're saying. He goes, you're using old lady speech. And I said, oh, I go, well, my, my Japanese is from my grandmother. She's, you know, my obachan is the only one I, I get Japanese from. And he was like, oh, he's like, you're using language that someone your age would not use. And then ever since then, I understand like there's, there is different phases of Japanese language. There's different formality and things like that, which the formality I understood. Yeah. Were you speaking highly formal or were you using like archaic terms? I was using, I was using words or versions of words that only an older woman would use. So there's language like, and and I can't think of a word specifically, but I I do know this thing. When you say, see you later in Japan, there is see you later, a formal kind of way. There is the casual kind of way. And then there's the way only girls say it. Whoa. And the way only girls say it is ja matane, ja matane, like you say it as you're leaving and they they say it back to you. But so like if I say ja matane and I say it to a man, he's going to accept that that is a woman, that is a girl saying that to him. But if a man, like if my husband were to try to, you know, he's heard, say he's heard me say it. And so he turns to someone who speaks Japanese and he's like, ja matane. Oh my gosh. <laughs> would laugh at him yeah. because that's something a woman would say, not a man. Where they laugh because it's cute or laugh because it's just wrong. It's a feminizing. And so he's he's unmanned by oh, no. using girl speak, right? So the same type of thing is there. Are, there's tonation or there's accent or there is certain word usage that would be done by a, an older woman. And that was the kind of Japanese that I use because that's the kind of Japanese I've heard most of my life. And I didn't know it took an outsider to tell me because my grandmother would have never told me that because she wasn't supposed to, quotation fingers, teach me Japanese yeah. because of my poor little brain, which would not be able to function um (laughs) you know it's funny that it's different circumstances but it sounds like there's almost this generational gap 
that exists within native or indigenous communities as well. You have a gap where there are people who are sent to the quote-unquote Indian schools and they weren't allowed to speak their languages. And now the younger ones are trying to revive the languages and some of the elderly ones are just like, we don't do that anymore. Right. And so there's also the intergenerational trauma of various racist things that happen to the older generation that now impacts the younger generation. My grandmother had a fear of wasting stuff because she grew up in wartime. And so that would force us to be eating spoiled or almost spoiled food because wartime. Yeah. You know, and she's passing that that trauma on. And so in my case, the reaction I had to it was because I also grew up on welfare is that now as an adult, because I do have more than I had when I was younger, possessions are important to me, which it really shouldn't be. But I don't like to give up my possessions because I grew up poor and I didn't have anything. Oh, I grew up poor too. And I'm with you on that. So like someone saying, well, just get rid of it. What are you fucking talking about getting rid of it? This is mine. Yeah. You know, because I used to have things. And my grandmother had a version of that too, which was there's not much resources. There's not as many resources as I need to survive. So yeah, okay, this bread is moldy, but I'm going to eat this because it's food. Things like that. There's fears and traumas that she had that made her raise her, her, my mother, her daughter a certain way. My mother rebelled against a certain amount of it and taught me something. I rebelled against my mom a little bit and tried to do something different. But every generation has like been affected by the trauma of the generations before. Yeah, it's all reactionary from the same thing. And so now I will say I am a little bit more wasteful food wise. Because I'm like, I don't have to worry about it anymore because I used to have to worry about it all the time. My reaction to to that kind of lack of resources is different than my grandma. And maybe also too flavored by the fact that I'm American and we always think that resources are around the corner even when we're poor. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what that was, but sometimes it's complex. You never know. Right. And so what we I guess haven't really gotten too much into. We we talk about like generally Japanese are kind of anti mix or or you are not like even the citizens that are foreign citizens in Japan, to become a citizen, they have to relinquish their name and take on a Japanese surname. You do? Yeah. So like a, a wow. Korean worker who comes in, they never get full citizenship. It's kind of like a B-level citizenship. If they come to work in one of the manufacturing plants, say like at Toyota or one of the other car companies or something like that, they would get a working pass, kind of like our green card system, but mm-hmm. they wouldn't be like a full citizen. But to be able to stay there permanently, they would have to get rid of their Korean name and adopt a Japanese surname. Holy and that is cow. like, because this is, this is to be Japanese, you have to be Japanese. I for any other Asian culture to give up their name, it'd be a lot of desperation in that. <laughs> yeah, to do. And honestly, there's a, a level of kind of a disrespect against the other cultures in yeah. forcing people to do that who are in need, you know. But Japan being a place where there is a lot more money than maybe some of the places that the the foreign workers come from, that they're asked to give up their name to do it. And so, if that's the culture, and my version of it is two generations American, (laughs) you know, kind of diluted through it. And then on top of it, I'm black. And on top of it, I'm white too. What are you? You're not Japanese, you know, and they don't view us as they don't view us as white, black, Asian, like they view us as Americans who happen to be different colors. We view ourselves as different colors who happen to be Americans. Yeah. 
you know, so we're not even speaking the same identifying language to even begin to have a conversation about why it's okay to be mixed or, or whatever, you know? <laughs> Remember, this is only the beginning of our conversation with Charmaine. In the next episode, you'll hear more of her family's history and about her personal journey as a black, Japanese-American, queer cat mom. And I'm pretty sure I got those out of order. You can find Charmaine at Mixed Girl Maine and Militantly Mixed on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Please go and show her some love. I will leave links to her social media in the description. If you liked this episode or any of the previous episodes, be sure to let me know or leave a rate and review on iTunes. I do also have Patreon and merch, and you can find me at Some Kind of Brown on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thank you to Purple Planet for the use of their song, Love Life, and I'll see you next week with some more Shades of Brown. <laughs>